see God work and move through our prayers. And rather than explain that to you myself, I've asked Shannon to come on up and share a story with you. As we've been working our way through this prayer series, Shannon reached out to me to see if I thought it would be uh, appropriate for her to share a story about God answering prayers. And knowing the details of that story already, I was thrilled that she'd be willing to actually take the risk to get up here and share a story that I think should help you see uh, that praying with expectation is just what we should do as believers. So Shannon. Um, My prayer request started um, the first week before May 1st. God in prayer told me to go on a 21-day Daniel fast and prayer. And that's in the book of Daniel if you're not familiar with it. Um, And God spoke to me clearly and said, give me 21 days and see what I don't give you in return. (coughs) And then he led me to his word, which Grady went over in Matthew 7, 11, if then you being evil know how good it is to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask. And my prayer request was a main focus of my 16-year-old son, Josh, um, who does not have, has never had, a good relationship with his own father. So every year, I'm sorry, we were bound by the court to send him to Michigan every summer and every Christmas. It was an ungodly place to send him. And I didn't want to send him. And he would beg me, Mom, please don't make me go. So I cried out to God the first week of the fast. And I said, Lord, you have changed the hearts of kings in your word. It's written. Lord, would you please change Craig's heart towards my son and release him? Eleven days, May 11th, into the fast, my son plays football. And his football coach said, um, went to Josh and said, can I please call your father and ask him if you could just stay a week longer because there's a passing tournament in Tucson, I want you to come. And what kind of coach would I be if I didn't at least ask? So the football coach called my ex-husband, and Craig said, I'll think about it. Um, On May 12th, the 12 days into my prayer and fasting, Craig called me, and he said... If you release me from paying child support, I will never force Josh to come again. I said, where do I sign? What do I do? I put it in writing, notarized it, and sent the paperwork to the court. I received the paperwork. Josh is released from ever visiting again. But his child support has not been stopped. I don't know why, but I agreed to it. On May 14th, Because I want you to know, God just doesn't just answer. He does exceedingly, abundantly more. On May 14th, exactly two days later, my husband and I purchased the ticket from Southwest because he was forced to go. We had to do it. So we had bought the ticket in April. Um, Exactly two days later, my husband, Alan, received a phone call at 8 o'clock at night from Southwest. They said, we're calling you about your ticket for Joshua Nichols, and we would like to let you know that we had to make a schedule change on our end and the return flight. So we're offering you the option to cancel and give you a full refund of your money. My husband said, yes, please cancel the flight. They have fully refunded our credit card $470, which is the amount of the flight. 
There's three keys that I would like to point out. This can happen for anyone. It's not because I'm more righteous, more holy, more worthy. It's because God is no respect a person. There is not one of you that God wouldn't do anything for. The second thing is obedience, just obeying what God has said to do. That's all I did. Because in 1 Samuel, it says, Has the Lord as much as delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. An expectation, pray, expecting God at all times. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is in him. We must expect from God. I challenge each and every one of you not to do a 21-day Daniel fast, but to do what God has asked you to do in prayer. If you obey him and then you expect, expect him to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask him for because he will do it. He is faithful. He's been faithful all these years. I've sent my son to Michigan, and now my son is released, and we are so grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Shannon. That's a, that's a very cool story. Um, I, when she told me that story, I was, I think maybe for a moment, I was more blown away by the fact that the airline gave a full refund, right? <laughs> that never happens, right? So, so how do we pray like this? How do we, how do we go about asking God for things? Is there, is there a process to grow in this? Um, after three weeks talking about prayer, I think it's finally time to jump into the prayer. And so if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to take a few minutes and look at the Lord's Prayer, which um, if you've ever dabbled around church at all, you've probably heard it at some point. In an effort to enrich the prayer life of those who desired to grow closer to God, Jesus gives this very simple formula to his followers, Okay. And it's sort of like our Acts model, I think, where Jesus is giving a formula, a model for us to give our prayer request to God. And we're going to read it in a second here, but what I want you to understand is that at the core of this prayer, there's really two potential approaches to praying this prayer, okay? I would say the first approach is what I would call the slow death of religious ritual, Many people for centuries have no doubt encountered this prayer and thought to themselves, self, here's a magical incantation that I can say, and if I do, then God will be obligated to help me. And in all seriousness, magic in the historical sense, okay? We don't believe in magic in America because we're scientific and enlightened. But throughout the centuries, magic was a way for people to say a phrase or a spell or maybe do a thing that would give you power to manipulate spiritual forces. And there are lots of people in the world who still believe that you can do that. Like a cultish rain dance, maybe, right? You say this thing, you do this thing, and then God is obligated to help you. You do the dance, now he has to make it rain. He owes you the rain. You said the words, and so now his power is at your disposal. But make no mistake about this. You can pray this prayer religiously until you are blue in the face. You can hail Mary till the cows come home. You can recite this prayer five times a day on your knees and put scabs on your forehead because you're bowing down. And it can all be absolutely meaningless if you do it in an effort to manipulate control 
or obligate God to do what you want. He doesn't play that game. And if you approach Christianity as a way to get power over God, then you have fallen for one of the most insidious tricks of the devil, which is that you can be like God and have his power at your disposal. And so while these words do have great power, it is not the words themselves that contain the power. It's what the words reveal about who God is and our relationship to him. It's the way in which these words can be used as a tool to help us become centered on God and draw near to him as the true source of all that we are and all that we need, okay? So the first outcome, the first approach to this prayer is religious ritual, and it's utterly meaningless. But the second outcome is not religious at all. The second outcome is that these words can be a guide to actually helping us see God and know him and draw near to him and have more of him. So let me read this, and then I'll make some brief observations, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Seriously, pretty much everything that we need to know about supplicating prayer, asking prayer, prayer request is found in these verses. And you could have an eternally rich prayer life if you would pray in similar fashion to these 10 lines that Jesus speaks, which is amazing. I think his disciples were like expecting him to pull out, uh, you know, long books on prayer and to give this like very theological course on how to pray. And he gives them 10 lines, six different requests to put before God. So let me point these six out, and then I'll tie it together for us, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Around the world, the name of God is profaned. And so we are asking God that he would right this terrible injustice. You want to talk about social justice issues? The name of God being profaned is at the top of the list. And God is our gracious Father, and yet we being rebels have chosen to refuse to acknowledge him as such. We think we can do it better. We've turned our back on him. And our world despises the fact that God is holy and we are sinners. Hates that idea. Our world despises the fact that he is God and we are his subjects. Because we as Christians then are zealous for the name of God, for his holiness, we should pray, Jesus teaches us, to ask that God would heal this broken world, that people would see him as our good and gracious father, the one who is blessed and holy. And so let me ask you, as you think about the way that you pray, when was the last time that you came before God to ask him for something and you started by asking him that his name would be lifted up in the world? Without praying this prayer specifically, you consciously thought, God, may your name be kept honored and sacred among the nations. That people would see you as the good and gracious heavenly father that you are. Jesus moves on. He says, your kingdom come. And of course, this prayer means that we want Jesus' kingdom to come in the world. But let's, let's narrow our focus down from this grand scheme to just what's meaningful for our lives personally for a moment, okay? This is an ask that God's kingdom would rule in our hearts. 
We're asking God to be the king of our lives, which believe it or not, I feel like I know a lot of Christians who say they're Christians, but when you really drive home the idea that God is the king of their life, ooh, man, that's, that's tough. I'm not sure I'm willing to go there. For the Christian, God is already our king, but the fact remains that we're not 100% obedient to his rule in our lives. We struggle against flesh. We struggle against the world in our efforts to follow God and let him be the Lord of our lives. And so Jesus tells us to pray and ask that God would rule our hearts so firmly that we actually want to obey him. That when the choice comes up between obedience and non-obedience, the desire of our heart is obedience. Not just, I'm going to do this because it's my duty. And so when was the last time that you asked for the kingdom rule of God to be firmly established in your heart so that you would desire what he desires more? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we may be tempted to say that this prayer request is only applicable on a global scale. That Jesus is telling us that, for, that we should be asking for his will to be done around the world as it is in heaven. But again, let's consider this prayer request on a more personal level. About this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, Martin Luther says this, and it's in your notes. Grant us grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity. And to recognize that in this, your divine will is crucifying our will. See, usually we pray for God to take these things away. But what Martin Luther is saying is that what Jesus means here is that we should pray for God to give us the grace to endure these things. And we live in a very tolerant culture, a culture that's self-reliant. It's very proud. And our natural position is that we demand that our will be done. Nobody or no thing should have power over us to stop my will from my life. But that stance shows what I would say is a profound mistrust for God as our Father. We don't think that God is capable of taking care of us. We mistakenly believe that we can actually do it better than him. In his book on prayer, Timothy Keller, he points out that even Jesus asked the Father if there could be another way to atone for the sins of the world in the garden. But even as Jesus said, take this cup from me, he said, but not my will, yours be done. And the point is, do we trust God enough as our Father that we sincerely believe that his will for us is the best thing? Even if it leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, through pain, through suffering, through hardship and pruning, do we believe that his will for us is the best? And so when was the last time that you asked God for something and then told him that as much as you desire this thing, as God, as much as I want this, not my will be done, but yours. Whatever the outcome might be, Father, my deepest desire is that you would grant me the faith and the trust to know that what you take me through is in your will and you're good and you'll handle it. Okay, now before we go on to consider the last three petitions, I want you to just see that so far in all of our prayers of supplication, we've kept our focus squarely on God. We started weeks ago with adoration and talking about prayer. Prayers focused on giving God praise. And then we went to confession. Prayers focused on, uh, on asking God for the forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Christ. And then we moved to thanksgiving. 
giving God glory and praise for all of the benefits that he has blessed us with, remembering those things. And now finally, we come to supplication, the place where we finally get to turn our attention from God to us. And what happens? Jesus tells us essentially that in his model, the first 50% of our prayers should be all about asking God for what God wants, not what we want. And I just need to show you, I just need to point out how radically different that is from our typical approach to prayer, isn't it? The natural human tendency is for everything to be about me, me, me. We are naturally self-centered creatures. But the beauty of prayer is that it's all about God, God, God. God is at the center, which is the original design for the human heart. It's the way God intended it to be. So I think finally, after we've been through this long process of refocusing our attention on God, finally we're ready to bring up the things that are related to our needs, okay? And so Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And on the surface, this would appear to be the most harmless part of the prayer. I can do that. I can ask God for my daily bread. But I would say that this is not actually a harmless part of the prayer, and and here's why. The request here avoids extremes, It's a request for God to take care of our needs in a balanced fashion. Proverbs 30, verses 8 through 9, shed some light on what I mean. It says, Give me neither poverty on one hand nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so the prayer for God to provide for our daily needs forces us to be dependent on God. The temptation that comes with riches is the tendency that we don't need God anymore. I mean, look at some of the most fabulously wealthy people in our world and and notice how arrogant they are, how pompous they are. You have self-sufficiency when the bank account is full and the great American ideal, in many ways, I would say of being self-sufficient, is the enemy of our dependency on God. And the temptation of poverty on the other side is to think that God has abandoned us. He's not looking out for us any longer. And so it's now my responsibility to go out and provide for myself to take what I need. I'm going to take matters into my own hands to solve the problem and alleviate my needs. And this prayer is the, quest, the request for God to be our provision in the very center for his hand to sustain us through every day, for us to find the answer for our daily needs provided to us by him. And so again, when was the last time that you asked God, not necessarily to take away your riches or to give you more, but when was the last time you asked God to keep you desperately dependent on him? Whatever your physical circumstances, God, keep me desperately dependent on you. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We've already spent the whole service talking about confession. You can go up on our website and listen to that if you want. So I'm going to be real short here. Here Jesus teaches us to practice confession in our petitions to God. The only other thing I want to make mention of here then is that Jesus reminds us where the power to forgive other people comes from. God has forgiven us much. And so we then find power to forgive others for the little things that they have done to wrong us. And the emphasis here is on right relationships. We want a a right relationship with God, and so we confess our sins. 
And we want right relationships with other people. And so we ask that God would help us forgive them as we've been richly forgiven. And so when was the last time when you were putting your prayer requests before God that you asked him to help you forgive someone whom you're bitter, angry, and still holding a grudge towards? I mean, to really ask him to help you to forgive them, not just lip service. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation itself is not a bad thing. If you have been tempted, you have not yet sinned. There's no sin in temptation. And so this request is not that we would be free from being tempted, but that when the temptation comes, we would have the courage, the power, the strength to stand against it and not step into that temptation to sin. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us be obedient to God in our fight against sin and evil. And so we pray that God would lead us in paths of righteousness. And when was the last time that you prayed and asked God for a greater measure of his power to stand firm against temptation, for him to deliver you from the evil that's all around you that threatens you? Is that a regular pattern in your prayers? Okay, so we've got these six ingredients. We ask for his name to be praised and glorified. We ask for his kingdom rule to be the desire of our hearts. We ask God to give us the faith that what he intends is best. We ask God to provide but to keep us dependent on him. And we ask for forgiveness and the power to forgive and, the, uh, and that God would strengthen us to be obedient to him. So let me tie this all, to, try at least, to tie this all together and wrap things up, Okay. All six of these ingredients have one major thing in common, I would say. At their root, we are not asking God for anything other than God. So many of our prayers are asking God for things or for God to do things. We ask him to help us tolerate the boss that we don't like. We ask him to help us uh, fix our marriage. We ask him to heal our illnesses. We ask him for the money to pay our bills. We ask him to show us his will for our lives. We ask him to open doors for us in this direction or that direction. And if you were to analyze our prayers, what you would probably see is that the majority of what we tend to pray for is asking God to give us things or to do things. Now understand, none of that is bad. We're invited to do that. You can do that. But one of the primary purposes of prayer is to change the desires of our hearts. And at the core of this prayer is really a plea for God to give us more of Him. It's okay to ask God to give more of the, of the good gifts that He generously gives. But what you and I need more than the good gifts from God is to have more of the giver Himself. Earlier I said that Jesus is our mediator because he stands between us and God. And so now we have the desire to ask whatever, or we have the right to ask whatever we want or desire from God. Maybe some of you heard that word want and you were like, oh my goodness, I probably shouldn't stick around for the rest of the service. Joel Osteen may come out from behind a curtain. <laughs> but I believe that our problem is that when we pray, often our desire is way too small. We set our sights far below what we should be praying for. And it's okay for us to ask God for anything. We're free to do that. 
But the one thing that we need most desperately from God, I think we often fail to ask for. We fail to even consider it. And what we need most is for God to give us more of him. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, when we delight in God, what we find is that the desire of our heart is God. And so it's good and right for us to ask good things from God. But the best thing that we can ask for is God himself. Let me try and illustrate this real quick before I wrap up. When you become a Christian, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. And you become full and actually you're overflowing. It spills out of your life into somebody else's life. And you can be content with that. Or you could pray and you could say, God, fill me with a greater measure even though I'm already full. And what you find is that God does something like this and he increases your capacity to hold more of who he is so that you remain overflowing and yet you have more of God. And as you continue to pray that prayer, what you find is that God grows you to this place where his fullness is immeasurable. And you can hold more and more and more. I don't have enough water to fill the bucket up. But that should be the desire. God, not give me more things, but make me capable of having more of you. What I want more than anything is you. Let me pray. God, we adore you. We praise you. And we come before you consistently confessing our sins because we need your grace. And we give you thanks for all of your goodness, your mercy to us. We love you for these things. But God, what we want more than anything is to have a greater capacity to be filled with you. And so help us to pray right prayers. We know it's okay to ask you for whatever our hearts desire. We, we know it's okay to ask you to fill our needs. We know it's okay to come before you with these requests. But God, help us to remember to pray and ask for the most important thing, which is that you would fill us more full. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.